Please open your Bibles with me once again to the book of Romans. We'll be resuming there where we left off. But before we do that, let's review verse 25. And in a moment, the Lord enabling, the Lord willing, we'll look at verse 26 through to verse 29. Romans 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Let not yourselves be lifted up with pride in your own religious high-mindedness. For you see, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, until the fullness of God's elect among the Gentiles be brought into union with Christ through the gospel of God concerning His Son, Christ Jesus the Lord. And this is referred to in God's Word as being a mystery. In Ephesians chapter 5, when it talks about that union between Christ and His church, the apostle likens it unto a husband and a wife, Christ and his church. Paul writes, this is a great mystery, a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Beloved, this is a great mystery, that vital union we have with Christ, God's Son, that special union that our head has with his body, the church. In another place, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16, we read, Without controversy, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. I mean, go ahead and try and explain that. You can't. It's a mystery that God has condescended to reveal to us, the great mystery of the gospel. And that mystery of godliness, how God was manifest in the flesh, this mystery was justified or or vindicated by God, the Holy Spirit, seen of angels, both at his birth and at his resurrection, and preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. Indeed, believed by his elect among every nation, Jew and Gentile alike, and received up into glory. Now, the mystery isn't that any vile sinner would actually believe the gospel or how that our Lord Jesus Christ was delivered for our offenses and received up into glory. Rather, it's a mystery in that this gospel must be revealed from above. To believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a mystery, how that God justifies the ungodly in Christ without lowering his holy standard or marring his holy justice. Remember in chapter 3? He set forth there how God is both just and justifier of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Isaiah records that he is both a just God and a Savior. Isaiah also records our Lord declaring, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. And so, beloved, this gospel truth must be revealed. You see, the hidden things of the gospel must be revealed unto us or we shall never believe it. And so the apostle is saying, in effect, here in Romans 11, verse 25, Beloved, let us never be wise in our own conceits, thinking, well, I'm just a little bit better. I'm a little bit better or a little bit smarter or I've got this thing figured out. 
Beloved, you know this. You believe the gospel because God revealed this mystery unto you. I mean, it's not something you figured out. Before I heard the gospel, I used to love coming up to people and asking them, when did you receive the doctrines of grace? (laughs) As though it was something to figure out after you were saved. No, beloved, God revealed this to you from above. We read in Matthew chapter 11, our Lord condescending to let us listen in on his discourse with our Heavenly Father. And he says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. What a miracle it is every beloved believing sinner is. The believing sinner can rest where God's word declares, ye are complete in him, period. (laughs) And not get all antsy about it and say, positionally though, positionally, and never be resting. I'm thinking about someone I know who I would love to have rest in the finished work of Christ, but alas, he's caught up in that false teaching of progressive sanctification. You see, to believe on Christ, to believe on him who God sent, well, this is by a revelation from above. Now, you don't need to turn there. I'll read this portion to you from Galatians chapter 1. I I love this. So, Paul, when were you saved? And he answers in chapter 1, when it pleased God. (laughs) Salvation is not according to our calendar. Salvation is according to God's calendar. And he writes there in Galatians 1, verse 15, When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me. The revelation of Christ in you, beloved, is the hope of glory. And so this is the mystery of God. And this gospel is hidden from the Jews. And God hardening their hearts, blinding their eyes, is a mystery. God have mercy on some and passing by others is a mystery. All right, look back at the earlier part of the chapter there in verse 8, Romans 11, verse 8. We looked at this earlier. Remember, according as it is written, the apostle writes, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see. And notice that's God that has given them eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, let their table be made a snare and a a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back alway. Beloved, this is a mystery. The mystery of God hiding the gospel from some and revealing it unto others is by the purpose of God. You see, he's worked this whole thing after the counsel of his own will. And this is by the purpose of God. This was done that the blessings of the gospel might be sent unto us. Indeed, unto the Gentile world. And so, beloved, who are we to sit in judgment upon God's purpose of his grace in Christ Jesus? Now look at verse 26. Again, Romans 11, verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. 
Now, the apostle is not limiting this to God's elect among the Jews. Rather, he's speaking about all the elect of God, Jew and Gentile. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer. Beloved, there's only one capital D Deliverer, and he's the Savior, the Redeemer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Even so, beloved, all the elect of God shall be saved, be he Jew or Gentile. You see, God has a people redeemed out of every tribe, kindred, nation, tongue, and people, and they're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. You see, all of God's elect, all of God's spiritual covenant people shall be saved. Indeed, all the spiritual sons of Abraham, the true Israel of God, shall be saved. Now, if we look back at chapter 9, we see there um, that verse in verse 5. The apostle writes there, whose are the fathers and of, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. And this is speaking of God's covenant people, indeed God's covenant children. Beloved, all Israel shall be saved. I love that word, don't you? Not some, but all Israel shall be saved. Reminds me of what our Lord tells us in John chapter 6, verse 37, where he declares, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I love that word. It's a, it's a glorious word. All. Beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ is a sovereign successful Savior. Our Lord tells us in John 6, verse 39, And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I shall lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. Now, who is this all? The Israel of God. God's elect amongst every nation, Jew and Gentile alike. And turn back to chapter 2. Well, who is this Israel of God? Who is a true son of God? The apostle writes in Romans chapter 2 and verse 28, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, a true son of Abraham, a true child of God, which is one inwardly, and circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Remember from Philippians chapter 3, when Paul describes there those who are the children of God? He writes to God's people, Beloved, we are the true circumcision, the true Israel of God, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, notice the reason that is given that God's covenant people shall be saved. 
I love that statement in verse 26. This is, again, 11, Romans 11, verse 26. And so all Israel sh- shall be saved as it is written. You see, the reason that God justified his people is because it is written. God has determined to do it as it is written. In other words, since God has decreed it to be so, since God has said it, it shall be. Indeed, the Lord does as he had spoken. Remember from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we read there how that Christ died for our sins according as it is written. Beloved, everything God has done for us is because he has from eternity decreed it to come to pass. You see, before there was a sinner, there was a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was slain from before the foundation of the world. And so all of God's elect shall be redeemed, justified, sanctified, and made righteous in Christ Jesus, because as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer. Again, notice that's a definite article, capital D, Deliverer. Beloved, he's our Deliverer. How did he deliver us? Well, he was delivered for our offenses and raised again because he justified us. And so our Deliverer shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. There shall come out of Zion our Deliverer. Beloved, he's our Redeemer. Again, remember, He was delivered for our offenses and raised again because he actually and really justified us. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. God, who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? My friend, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only Redeemer. He's the only one that can put away our sin, and he did so, beloved. You see, we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, who is the only Savior, the only Deliverer, who actually and really redeemed all his people. I uh, found myself at uh, O'Reilly. You've heard of that store. It's an auto parts shop. I was just buying some oil. And uh, the Lord... uh, opened up an opportunity to speak to a young man named Lorenzo. And uh, just in passing, I said, uh, uh, I got something to plug. I hope you don't get offended by me using that as an introduction (laughs) to bend somebody's ear. And he said, uh, you know, I got a moment. So uh, I said, do you have a religious background? He said, yeah, I'm I'm a Catholic. Well, I'm not really a Catholic. My mom and dad are Catholic, but I'm really nothing. And I said, uh, well, do you remember what you heard growing up? He said, yeah. I said, well, based on what you heard growing up, of all the people that our Heavenly Father wants to save, um, how many people or what percentage of those people will, will the Lord Jesus Christ actually save? He said, he thought about it for a bit. And he said, ah, I don't know, 5%. <laughs> what an undeserved privilege we have to, to declare the gospel of our sovereign, successful Savior. I was able to just repeat what our Lord said to him. We're not called to say something imaginative or novel or new. I just told him, well, this is what our Heavenly Father had his son declare. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, this is the Father's will, he who sent me, 
that of all that he has given me, I shall lose nothing, <laughs> but raise it up and again at the last day. Now, we, I had some more liberty with him. I spoke to him about how he got his job. He had a badge. Uh, two years he'd been working at O'Reilly's. I asked him, do you do a background check there? He said, yeah. Oh, so you went to the local precinct? Yeah, they, they, they did a background check on me, and I came up okay. And uh, I warned him, as we should warn all of our friends and loved ones, if we're found in our own filthy ruined record on that day, God will justly send us to hell. But the good news of the gospel is what moved the Apostle Paul to say, I don't want to be found in my own righteousness as touching the law. I want to be found in the perfect, spotless, righteous record of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, now this is not in my notes, but I want you to see how the gospel is throughout the whole word of God. Uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. You know, the prophet Isaiah says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem. Tell her that her warfare is accomplished, that she has received double of the Lord's hands for all her sins and iniquities. And it's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, in this little verse that sets forth ever so clearly and plainly the gospel of our salvation, beloved. It says here, Unto Adam also and to his wife Eve, did the Lord God make coats of skins? This is speaking about the precious blood of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. But notice the concluding part of that verse. And clothe them. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ didn't only accomplish our salvation. Not only did he wash us thoroughly with his blood, but he's clothed us with his perfect righteousness. What comfort there is in, in knowing that, beloved that not only are all of our sins are forgiven and washed away, never to be remembered again, but we're clothed in the perfect righteousness of God himself. That's the mystery that the Apostle Paul is speaking about here that's revealed to his people. And it's a mystery how... I mean, I can't explain it, <laughs> but I believe it. You see, beloved, we have one intercessor... And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so heaven and earth shall call his name Jesus. Jehovah saves, for he shall save his people from their sins. Indeed, he's the only mediator between God and men. The God-man, Christ Jesus the Lord. And speaking of his sheep, not everyone. Speaking only of his sheep. And I, I told uh, Lorenzo, I pray you're his sheep. I pray I'm his sheep. Because he didn't come to die for everyone. He said, my sheep shall hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. How is it that the Lord explained the unbelief of those Pharisees? He simply said, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, Lord, I want to be your sheep. Give me ears to hear you. Give me feet to follow you because I don't want to follow anyone else. Isn't that what we read in our portion this evening? In John chapter 6, I can identify greatly with what the disciple says there. 
John chapter 6. And remember what the Lord said in verse 67. Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Reminds me, and it's certainly reminiscent of the our Ethiopian brother. He had a tender conscience, just the same. He said, What hindereth me to be baptized? And Philip simply said to him, If you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you may. And that's what we just read there. That he believed indeed, as all God's people do, that he is the Son of God. And so you see, beloved, we have one intercessor. And our Heavenly Father is able to save them to the uttermost that come to him through that mediator, his beloved, well-pleasing Son. And he ever liveth to make intercession for his people. That's good news, is it not? Now, if we had a deliverer that merely tried to save us and ultimately failed, well, that wouldn't be a deliverer. Rather, that would be nothing but a failure. You see, if we had that deliverer, that savior, that false Christ preached in false religion, that false Jesus that tried to save everyone and couldn't, well, we wouldn't have a savior. Rather, all we would have, beloved, would be a failure. But the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, he's no failed savior. He's no failed redeemer. He's no failed deliverer. You see, he successfully, 100% saved all his people from their sins. And he's done it forever with his own blood and put away those sins with the sacrifice of himself. Our deliverer shall turn us away from the ungodliness of Jacob. What was Jacob's name? by nature. Remember, Jacob was a cheat, a supplanter. But what did God rename him? That's where we get the name Israel. Israel comes from God renaming Jacob. When Jacob met the Savior and they had that confrontation and the Lord came out the victor and said, Jacob, what's your name? He said, well, my name's Jacob, a cheat, a supplanter, a sinner. And God said, your name will no more be called Jacob because I've made you Israel. And Israel means a prince. He shall rule. And as a prince, I'll have power with God. Beloved, he's made us kings and priests unto our God. He's taken the sons of Jacob and made us kings and priests unto our God. And because he never changes, his mercy never changes. He condescends to tell us in the book of Malachi, I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Beloved, that's the good news of the gospel. And he shall turn us away from trusting ourselves. He shall turn us away from looking to ourselves. You see, he causes us to look unto him, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now look at this blessed verse. I love this. This is verse 27. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. 
Beloved, our Heavenly Father is able to save them to the uttermost. You see, God has a covenant people, and we call that covenant the covenant of grace, the covenant of mercy. And God said, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. The Lord willing, this coming June, I'll be putting a new book on our bookshelf. If you want to find that online, just search for Sovereign Grace Bookshelf. Anyway, if you want to read a, a good book, look for uh, John Warburton's Mercies of a Covenant God, an account of the Lord's dealings with his covenant people. So keep an eye out for that. But in the meantime, do please make use of our bookshelf. All those books and booklets are for God's people, and they're filled with much gospel comfort. Our Lord told Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Now, I'll just read this to you. This is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And then the apostle adds, Amen. So be it. In Romans 11, the Apostle writes with utter simplicity, in the plainest language, God's very own words in verse 27. God declares, For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Well, how did our Heavenly Father take away their sin? How did He take away the sin of His covenant children? Now, He did not take away all the sin of all men everywhere. That's not what the Bible teaches. For if there's anybody in hell for whom the Lord Jesus Christ died, he's a failure. But the gospel, the good news is how that none of his beloved people are going to perish. None shall perish for whom the Lord Jesus Christ died. And why is that? Well, our Father tells us, through the doing and dying of his beloved Son, he shall take away their sin. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says this, When he had by himself purged our sins, when he gave his life as a ransom for his people, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, our Heavenly Father purposed him to suffer since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, in the end of the age, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, beloved, He obtained eternal redemption for us. And not with the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood he entered entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. God tells us in verse 27, I shall take away their sins. But not with the blood of bulls and goats, that blood can't put away sins. Indeed, he says it's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should be put away, that the the blood of bulls and goats should put away sin. Not that it's hard to put away sin, but rather impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to put away sin. For it's only put away by the precious blood of God's only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I shall take away their sin. And now, beloved, by his Son's blood, they're all gone. 
God said, their sin and their iniquity will I remember no more. You see, he separated us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, I'll read this to you. But in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 20, God's word declares, In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, and there shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. And that's good news. Notice our portion in Romans 11 doesn't say I might, but ever so blessedly God says, I shall take away their sin. You see, beloved, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's dear Son, cleanses us from all our sin. Now look at verse 28. As concerning the gospel, every man by nature, Jew or Gentile, is an enemy of God and a hater of God concerning the gospel. The carnal mind, and we studied this in Romans 8, verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. That's deep-seated, deep-rooted hatred towards God. You see, by nature, we love darkness and hate the light because our deeds were evil. By nature, beloved, we were all enemies against God and opposed to his gospel concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's you and me by nature. That's everybody. You see, when God's sovereignty, sovereignty when, when God is set forth as God, when that's clearly defined and set forth in the gospel, setting forth God as God and men as sinners, man's natural response to the true gospel is just pure hatred against God. They hate that message that declares how that God chose the people, his people, and he will have mercy. Indeed, he has mercy on whom he will have mercy. Well, how does the natural man respond to that message? Enmity. You see, the natural man doesn't have a different theological position. Rather, they believe the lie and hate the truth. And they inwardly or outwardly hold a fist to the heavens and say, no, to God. And beloved, we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Children of hatred toward God that say in their hearts, I will not have that God-man, Jesus Christ, to reign over me. And that's man's natural response. God's word declares in Romans 8, verse 7, how that... Again, Romans 8, verse 7, how that the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You see, my friend, if you love the gospel of Christ, it's because you are by nature an enemy. But God, but our Heavenly Father has reconciled you to Himself through the blood atonement of Christ, Jew or Gentile. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and look there with me in verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins where in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience 
among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Romans 11, verse 28. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching or concerning the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes, being beloved of God. Remember over in Romans 11, verse 5, just on the page over. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You see, you cannot read God's word and deny the plain truth that he chose a people unto salvation. And he did so from all eternity. We call that the Bible truth of election. Now, can't we just skip that part? Can we just say, well, God elected every man, and then by faith they make the, the decision whether they are saved or not? Sadly, a lot of people who say they believe in election, they vainly think that that means that God voted for me, the devil voted against me, and then I have the deciding vote. What utter darkness. What foolishness. In our newest book on our bookshelf, The Doctrine of Christ, the author, writing of what unconditional election does not mean, writes, quote, By unconditional election, we do not mean that man elects God or elects to be saved. Uh, to illustrate, here is a much quoted blunder. God casts his vote. The devil casts his. The score is tied now. One to one, whichever way you cast your vote is the deciding factor. But, beloved, that's not true. For God alone does the electing. God's word declares, According as he, God, hath chosen us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world. In another place in God's word it declares, "Ye," and Indeed, these are the words of our Lord and God when he was speaking to those disciples. Ye have not chosen me, but I, says the Savior, have chosen you. In the election of grace, God from all eternity unconditionally chose a people unto salvation. Now, why do we preach these things? Because, my friend, that's what the Word of God teaches. Indeed, you cannot, you absolutely cannot preach the gospel and not preach election. How that God elected a people unto salvation. You see, you cannot preach the gospel without preaching how the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life for his sheep. You just can't do it. I mean, to try to dismiss that and pass over it is to re reveal that you're nothing more than a false prophet. And you know, sometimes a false prophet is not so much known by what he says, but, but rather by what he does not say. You see, these things are offensive to the natural man. And for a time, beloved, they were offensive to us, were they not? Concerning the gospel of God's Son, in our natural state, left to ourselves, 
we were offended. We were all enemies for a time, by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he had loved us in Christ, reconciled us through the doing and dying of his beloved Son. Now, when did God start loving his people? Beloved, we are bound to give thanks to God for you, brethren of the Lord, because God had from the beginning chosen you to salvation. You see, he's loved his people with an everlasting salvation. Therefore, with loving kindness does he draw them, for they are beloved of God. And we studied that in Romans 8, how that nothing, nothing, nothing at all can separate us from the love of God, which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, God has loved his people, and we call this sovereign electing love. Does that sound strange? I don't know why it should. I mean, I elected to choose my wife, and I elected to love her and to marry her. What if I told her I elected to love, marry, and know every woman? Well, that wouldn't go too far, now would it? And yet that's what false preachers are saying. You see, God elected his covenant people. God loves his own in Christ, as I love my wife like I love no other woman. And so God loves his people. Indeed, Christ loves his bride with an everlasting love. And having loved them, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sin atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, beloved, we love him because he first loved us. They are beloved for the Father's sake, because God chose his people unto salvation. Now let's look at verse 29. For the gifts, notice that's plural, the gifts and calling of God, that singular holy calling of God. God called his people out of darkness into his marvelous light. The gifts of God, the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, all these different gifts that God gives, all the blessings of God, and what God gives, they're without change. You see, my friend, God doesn't give salvation one day and then, well, you know, you've been especially bad and say to his people, I'm going to take my gifts away from you. You know, your children, when they're disobedient, you don't stop loving them because they're disobedient. You correct them because you love them. And whom the Father loveth, he chastens. But God loves his people without change. The gift of faith that God gives is without change. The gift of repentance that God gives to his children, all his gifts are without change. You see, God never takes these things back. Once he gives eternal life, they shall never, never perish. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Faith is the precious gift of God, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then the apostle mentions the calling of God. Remember, I am the Lord, I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. The Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so too, the Lord's gifts and his blessing of the gospel and the calling of sinners out of darkness under his marvelous light unto his marvelous light, never, never change. They're unalterable. They're irrevocable. <laughs> Actually, 
in Romans 11, verse 29, where it says without repentance. Uh, in the Spanish translation, it says irrevocable. I prefer that word. <laughs> For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, beloved. Irrevocable. You see, God never revokes His gifts or calls them back or takes them away. Rather, He gives us everlasting salvation because, because He saved us not with a temporary salvation, but, beloved of God, He saves us with an everlasting salvation. He gives us the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. Now, that's good news, is it not? The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. They do not change. They are never altered. They are immutable, irrevocable, precious promises given of God. Next week, we'll pick up with verse 30 and study down through to verse 36. And we read there in the concluding verse of this chapter. For of him, beloved, and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen.